Alrighty, to celebrate the launch of this podcast, we're running an iTunes and Stitcher contest leading up to the first 10 episodes of our show. One lucky winner is going to get an invite to become a founding member of our Founders Connect Inner Circle Mastermind Group, which is normally worth 840 USD per year to join. We're also going to give one lucky winner a 30-minute marketing blast-off consulting call with myself or a 30-minute ideal relationship coaching call with Cindy. We normally charge $500 per session, so definitely worth it. You can also win user licenses to a couple of our favorite online marketing tools thanks to our awesome contest partners. We will announce the winners on episode 11, so if you'd like to become a founding member of our Founders Connect Inner Circle or get some marketing or relationship coaching, head on over to foundersconnect.co forward slash win to enter now. Welcome to Founders Connect Podcast. We help lifestyle entrepreneurs to grow their business online and create a happier marriage. Did you know that approximately 45% of marriages end up in divorce and 65% of all startups fail due to founder conflicts? Well, we're here to change that. Each week, we bring you an inspiring guest and practical tips to help you with business, relationships, and sustainable living. Now, let the fun begin! All right. Hey, guys. Welcome to Founders Connect. And I'm Anthony. I'm Cindy. And uh, we are talking about how to use online giveaways to grow your audience with Mr. John Sherwood from Gleam.io. John is a self-proclaimed jack of all trades, which I really like, with a taste for web development. And he's a tech co-founder of Gleam.io, which is a platform for running all kinds of things, which John will explain shortly. We're actually using this platform for our giveaway as part of this contest, sorry, as part of our podcast launch, which is really exciting. And Orgleam is also one of our partners in the giveaway, which is also really cool. So thanks, John, for coming on board and having a chat with us today. Thank you. No worries. Good to be here. So first question, on a scale of 1 to 10, how weird are you? Uh, Yeah, so I heard this in the other podcast and I was like, that's an interesting question. And I sort of think about it in two ways. In one that is sort of on absolute scale is like, how weird could you be? And there are some really fucking weird people out there. <laughs> and so to the scale, I'm probably a two because you've got some people so absolutely bizarre and out there that, you know, it makes my weirdness look like this sort of trivial little tiny idiosyncratic thing. But in relative terms compared to, you know, the average person, probably a seven. So, you know, I'm fairly happy to sort of, you know, Ignore some social norms just for the sake of like, you know, if something feels like it doesn't make sense, I will be happy to burn some of my social capital to ignore it. (laughs) (laughs) Join the club, mate. How would your kids answer that question for you? I think my kids don't think they're weird at all. I think that... (laughs) How about Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, so for them, they just do whatever they feel like. And, you know, if that's weird, it just doesn't register with them at all, so... Excellent. Oh. Good answer. <laughs> so who's been your greatest mentor in your life or career and what did you learn from them? Probably the biggest mentor I've ever had is my co-founder. I've been thinking about it. Like I've never actually said, you know, hey, this guy's my mentor. But in a lot of ways, because he's got a very different skill set to I have and a very different sort of mindset, he's probably taught me more than anyone else, you know, from a point of like, you know, product focus and marketing. I've also got like a few other mentors, like a code mentor and a sort of business 
someone with a uh, MBA sort of thing. So I've got a few mentors, but yeah, certainly my co-founder would be the main one overall. What's his name? Stuart McGowan. Stuart. Okay, cool. How did you guys meet and how did you get Gleam started? Well, funny thing, I've actually got it on the wall behind me. <laughs> he actually sent me an email. So this is like the story of our founding is actually pretty random. He basically just sprayed and prayed. He just hit up like anyone who wrote Ruby in Melbourne and just like went on meetup.com and just spammed a bunch of people. And I was the only one that replied. <laughs> no, <Wow>. wow. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, very uh, unique indeed. There we go. So I actually printed it out the other week and put it on my wall. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> here we go. What, can I read it? Yeah, yeah, yeah go yeah, for it, mate. Hey, John, I saw you're a member of the Ruby Meetup group in Melbourne. I'm an affiliate marketer slash search marketing consultant and do pretty well in the affiliate space, but lack the technical skills to see a lot of my projects through to fruition. It'd be great to partner with someone in Melbourne that would allow us to combine skills and create some fantastic app sites to profit from. Smiley face. <laughs> I like the smiley face added. Yeah, give me a shout if you're interested. Email address, cheers, Stuart. Cool. And yeah, like that was basically, what, nine years ago we did that? And yeah. So online dating does work. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like this is pre-Tinder, uh, pre but uh, yeah. <laughs> so at the time when that call out was happening, did he already have a concept on what he wanted to build? Or like how did you guys sort of narrow in on what the platform would look like and what it would do for people? Well, this is actually pre-Gleam. Like Gleam is actually our fifth or sixth site. Like we built a couple of like affiliate websites before this, a Pinterest clone, a server aggregator, like a whole bunch of stuff. And like a white level, you know, product for building affiliate sites. You know, we basically use the learnings from those sites to basically build the one we have now. And Gleam's only about five years old, but Stuart and I have been going for nine years now. Yeah, I read that. Okay, cool. So tell our audience what Gleam sort of, you've got four different sort of, I guess, apps or things that people can use on Gleam. So what are the things that people can use? We talked about the contest one, obviously, but there are other things there. And what problem is it actually solving for businesses? Yeah, so basically, you know, we build these four different products for like one is running competitions, one is running rewards, where basically the competition rewards, you perform actions to either get entries or either perform enough actions to receive like a coupon code or a link or something like that. And then we've got like a gallery product for, you know, showcasing video and image content audio as well and also there's the lead capture product which is just you know like pop-ups to capture emails it's basically just a one-line install and so i guess the sort of value proposition there is that if you want to build any of these things your own even remotely well uh it's going to cost you a ton of development time you know or you have to go to some sort of agency and hope they build a decent thing and they're probably going to rip you off so yeah, like, you know, when you sort of look at the options you've got, you can pay us like, you know, nothing because we've got a free plan, but also like, you know, 39 bucks and you get this fully featured competition widget that you can embed in your site, which, you know, if you went to an agency it would cost you anywhere up to like 25 grand. That's really, really cool. What are sort of some of the results you've seen or your clients have seen from using Gleam? Well, some of our big competitions, uh, some of them have got like over 4 million entries. Some of them would be, you know, about a million users using them. And the best part is when they do that and then we sort of go, wow, our site's really getting hammered and you can sort of see the load on the databases go up and then you go, who's running that? And then you go have a look and they're paying us 39 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe you need to have a, like a commission-based model or something like that. Yeah, our pricing is rubbish and we really struggle to get it any better because people like my competition's going to go viral. Like it's going to get a bazillion entries totally and you know, very few of them actually do. But people, you know, would just be too scared to sort of commit to paying per entry or anything like that. Like we've thrown up ideas over the years 
you know, every week we discuss it pretty much. And it's just like, there's no options really. So where are you guys at the moment in terms of user base and where you want it to be? Yeah, so currently we're sort of mid seven figures revenue and we're sort of working our way to 10. Customers wise, we've got, depends on what you sort of consider to be a customer, you know, people who have ever paid us or people who are paying us right now or the number of users on our app. Like we've got, you know, thousands of people paying us. We've got tens of thousands who have paid us. We've got a bit of churn because it's like campaign based. Yeah, like they run a competition and they in their subscription maybe come back in a while. But like user base for people who are entering competitions and the other apps is, you know, tens of millions per month. Right. Okay. That's awesome. Did you know that financial intimacy can lead to better sexual intimacy with your significant other? Money is never just about dollars and cents. Money is wrapped up with emotions such as fear, insecurity, envy, and guilt, and attitudes such as control. So want to improve your financial intimacy? Grab our free guide at www.foundersconnect.co forward slash financial intimacy today. You are listening to the Founders Connect podcast, helping lifestyle entrepreneurs to grow their business online and create a happier marriage. Now back to the show. And so been in it for a while now, what are sort of the common myths, I guess, or mistakes you see businesses making with trying to run contests? Because everyone tries to do it, but I don't think a lot of people do it well. So for the ones that you've seen do it well, what would you say are a couple of things that they're implementing that, that really works sort of consistently? Well, there's two parts to it. There's like, you know, what am I seeing people do wrong with competitions in general? And that would be like, you know, people running Facebook competitions like, hey, tag three friends below and like and share. And like, you know, that's well and good, but it sort of just builds up Facebook likes, which are pretty much useless these days when they've pretty much just killed organic reach. And so, you know, those people leaving money on the table by not using our product or a similar product to sort of generate those leads emails as well. Because, you know, building likes is nice, but yeah, like actually getting an email, if you sort of want to put dollar figures on things, that's worth a lot more. And also, you know, that it's just a little bit ghetto sort of building the thing out like just the, you know, here's a random post, please like and share. Whereas, you know, having like a Schmidt competition widget where you've got a whole bunch of other entries like Twitter entries and Instagram and everything else, it adds a lot more value. As far as people using our product, the biggest problem we get is people try to be fancy. So yeah, what we get is people who are like, hey, I've got this idea of how I'm going to run this competition. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be better than anything else. And we're just like, please don't. (laughs) Um, Because they come up with just like these ideas and then they basically shoehorn that into our product. And people are just like, they just don't get it. Like I've seen places that have run like really complicated competitions and you know, where you have to go and do like four in you know, real world entries and you know, basically go to four different restaurants, this sort of thing with you know, thousands of dollars worth of prizes and then like one person actually gets the entry. Wow. Probably what's the worst thing is where someone puts on like a massive, very generic prize mm. and then just incredibly complicated competition with a whole bunch of really elaborate steps when you know, what goes really well is like, hey, just follow us on Twitter and follow us on, you know, whatever else, like, you know, all these other platforms and, you know, go and visit this deals page or, you know, things that are just keeping it simple is probably the best part of it. So when it comes to like selecting prizes, because you mentioned, you know, having generic prizes versus having more specific prizes for your audience. Yep. What are the tips or what have you seen around that and what's worked really well? Like what's an example of a contest that worked really well because the price selection was just spot on for its audience? Yeah. So what did we have? We run a bit of both. We run sort of just some generic competitions, giving away iPhones and MacBooks just to sort of, you know, get numbers up. But for the most part, they're not the type of people that will buy our product. We're sort of feeding that into sort of a generic 
list of competition subscribers to build up partner competitions later, and then we can sort of segment them out later. Like one of our great examples is a company called Beard Brand, and it's all about beards. I'm not a customer. Their beards are a lot better than my beard. And they basically give away beard stuff. Like, you know, here's some beard oil, some beard scissors, beard combs, all this other stuff. And that's pretty much like a gate for entry. Like pretty much if, you know, if as well, a bunch of like sweepers, like, you know, people who basically just enter competitions, you know, in mass. Yeah. And there's a huge trend with the beards right now. (laughs) (laughs) But I can't grow one. So I'm not the target audience. Now, you mentioned in your email to me that you're quite experienced with burnout. Tell me about that and what advice can you give to entrepreneurs about burnout and avoiding burnout? Well, yeah, I suppose the thing is that we run a bit of a different company. Like Stu and I are bootstrapped and we only went full time in 2013. And basically the decision to do that was because we could afford ourselves. So rather than going like all in with risk and then basically worrying about, you know, running at a runway to, you know, go through sort of financial hardship, we basically said, okay, how much do we need? And we figured like $10,000 a month. And when we hit that mark, uh, sorry, froze up there. I'm not sure what's going on with the yeah, internet. I, just, I swapped our uh, Wi-Fi because the signal was dying. But uh, yeah. what our last quote was, you guys had worked out that you needed about 10 grand a month to make it happen. So what happened from there? Yeah, so basically I came on full time. Simple as that. Like I said, okay, I quit my contracting job. Like I took less money. Like when I was contracting as a Java contractor in Melbourne, that's pretty lucrative. That's like $1,000 a day sort of thing. So I took a pay cut, but... I was not going to put myself in a position where at the time I had two kids, well, I slept two kids, but yeah, basically I'm not going to put myself in a position where we're going to be going broke and I have to go, you know, my wife would have to go get like a crappy part-time job and all, you know, just the usual stuff that goes through in financial hardship. Yeah. And you guys made the choice not to go down the path of trying to get funders and, you know, that kind of stuff, investment outside of the bootstrap model. Um, that's just, yeah, it's kind of funny now. Like at the time we never even considered it. Like it just seemed kind of ridiculous. Like we just moonlighted for years. Like I'd be on my train in the morning and before that just on the kitchen table from six to eight in the morning and then go to work. We were progressing just fine. You know, some of the earlier sites made some decent cash and it just felt completely unnecessary to ever raise money. Take us back to the early days when you were getting Gleam off the ground. How did you sort of get your boost in acquisition? Like what worked really well for you guys as a strategy? Was it actually running your own contest or were you doing something else? So basically what Stu did was he saw people whinging about running competitions or running them badly and he would basically whip up an example competition and say, hey, you could run one just like this and we'll help you do it. And he basically just hit up a whole bunch of people with you know, taking the time to sort of look at what they do and build an example that's better than what they're using currently. And yeah, that worked really well to sort of get things off the ground. Then what helped us more than anything was in our footer, it says Powered by Gleam yes. and that's clickable. Because, you know, that's the reason we had our free plan. So users would basically run competitions with this little ad in the bottom for us. And then they'd get, you know, paid customers coming in from that. So that would probably be our best acquisition funnel. But, you know, a bit of a chicken and egg problem where we needed people to run it to get that out there. So, you know, in the very early days, Stu was basically, you know, sending those emails, sending those tweets, DMs himself. Yeah, I love that because it just speaks to the non-scalable things you need to do to get it to the point where you can scale and I think a lot of startups now try and avoid <laughs> the one-on-one engagement if they can. They're trying to get this big burst at the beginning. But uh, time and time again, at least when I'm interviewing people, I see people saying, you actually have to make those calls or send those emails. Like, <laughs> that's how it works. Yeah. Well, it's also 
even partnerships haven't done that well for us. We've had a few partnerships that's got over a few thousand users, but for the most part, the partnerships haven't been a huge win for us. And like, yeah, as you say, a lot of people will just go, I know what we'll do. We'll build a great product. Then we'll just throw a hundred grand in Google ads. And you know, the problem you've got there is that it's very expensive and there's also like no social proof. It's just an ad for a product. So, you know, it's very hard. Like even now we struggle to get decent ROI on Facebook and Google ads just because, you know, it's such a competitive market. Yep. That's uh, not getting easier either. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. All right. Well, Cindy's got some questions for you. Yes, I do. So what was the moment when you knew your partner was the one for you? My wife? Yeah, I don't know. It was just seemed like a sensible thing. Like I didn't really put that much thought into it. <laughs> oh, where did you meet then? At uni. Like we oh, went to university. So we've been married for 11 years together for 15 or so. So oh. long time. So yeah, I don't know that it was ever like, hey, this is the one. It was just like, yep, yeah, this seems like a sensible sort of matching. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> So when did you actually propose then? <laughs> when did you get to the point yeah. where she like nagging you to propose or like how did that work out? Um, no, we just sort of figured out that eventually we'd have kids and it would okay. probably have less stigma to have kids married, I guess. Like hmm. I think marriage as an institution isn't that amazing. Like it's just like a bunch of legal stuff around a relationship, which just seems kind of annoying. I'm pretty anti-bureaucracy. There's a reason our company has no meetings. I don't want anything with you know, any kind of bureaucracy. Well, that's interesting because I didn't know about that. Do you mind if we just talk about the no meeting thing? So what does that look like and then why did you decide to do that? How do you get we, things started just, if you don't have any meetings? Well, what do we do day to day? We basically just create issues in GitHub and assign them to people or have conversations. So just via IM. Hmm. Oh, okay. So, interesting, yeah, yeah, so we've got like 17 people now and then basically nobody talks to anyone. It's all just I am and like GitHub. You are listening to the Founders Connect podcast, helping lifestyle entrepreneurs to grow their business online and create a happier marriage. Now back to the show. That's amazing. Yeah. And where are they? All Aussie or are they sort of around the world? I built a map for this purpose. Uh, let me just bring it and you can read it out. They are as far flung as Portugal and Vancouver. And we don't have an office anywhere. There's the team map if you want to have a look. Yeah. So we've got uh, Vancouver, Los Angeles, Portugal, uh, Serbia, Bulgaria, Ukraine, Russia, Phuket, like Thailand, Malaysia, and then one person in Perth and a few people in Melbourne. Wow, that's pretty epic. Oh, yeah. I like how you've done that. And I saw on LinkedIn you guys are hiring at the moment. Oh, yeah. yeah. So we're hiring a sort of mid-senior Rails JavaScript developer. Get us. Someone that's pretty good at CSS as well would be nice. Okay. So Maybe if we, uh, yeah, we're reasonably flexible with, you know, we've got a backlog of like 100 odd things, so we can find room for people. Yep. So if anyone's listening to this who's interested in that, definitely hit up Gleam Team. Okay. Back to your question, Cindy. So, what's the biggest challenge you face while running your own business and maintaining a healthy and happy relationship with your wife? Uh, what? So, this is a challenge regarding. The biggest challenge. Uh, Biggest challenge, um, work-life separation, I guess, because like we all work from home and my studies, you know, two meters that way across is the bedroom. And particularly when I started working from home, my relationship with the kids has changed a bit. Like, you know, when I sort of go home, I would just, you know, back when I'd sort of come home from work at about seven o'clock at night, I'd be like all on, like, yeah, it's fun time with the kids for a whole hour. And now it's just sort of like, eh, dad's home. And I'm like, eh, kids are here. 
So it's not, <laughs> yeah, it's got a lot less special and I feel like I have a lot less energy just because they're around all the time. Mm. So I feel like I can always, oh, I'll just spend some time with them later or whatever. But, you know, the other time is basically unlimited with them. It feels like I spend less quality time with them, which mm. is kind of strange, counterintuitive. Yeah, totally understand. So do you have any ideas on what you can do to change that, or assuming you want to change it? Yeah, well, I've actually started using an app called Streaks. It's good. It basically just tracks how many times a week you do stuff, pretty much. And yeah, I've sort of scheduled several hours per week of time to deliberately, you know, sort of shut off from the company, stay away from the phone and actually spend time with the kids, which I've only started like, you know, a week ago to sort of fix that. You know, I've tried various other things before this, but they didn't seem to work. So this new one I think is working all right. That's interesting. I'd have to follow up with you in a few weeks and see how I go with that because uh, <laughs> we have that issue. It's like same thing. How do we switch off, you know, because we're always, yeah, always we are working together business. and it's always business mode versus romantic mode. Like how do you do that and be present, right? And we don't have yeah. it yet. So that's definitely coming to you for advice there. <laughs> um, okay, <laughs> next one. So I like this question. What's your best tip for building sexual intimacy with your partner? <laughs> so I didn't read these questions on the list yet. So this is coming back <laughs> to me. Um, I would say get marriage counseling. That is a good one. Because they're experts. They'll basically tell you exactly what you're doing wrong because everyone's going to have different situations and problems. And yeah, going to a marriage counselor, they basically say, cool, I've seen this 700 times already. And here is the solution. So, yeah, that's my top tip. Get marriage counselling, it's worth it, and it's a lot cheaper than divorce. Cool. I was going to say, you've got a couple of kids, so something's working right for you guys. I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, just a question around, so one of the things we talk about with particularly couples, and you mentioned finances earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, did you and your wife have sort of similar views on money when you came into your relationship, or how do you both approach money as a couple? So I don't deal with money much at all. My wife manages the finances. The way my personality works, I'll either not give a crap about something or give too much of a crap about something. And so I'm not really interested in like figuring out how to pay the bills and budgeting and all that sort of stuff. So I just let her do that and she's happy with it because she's a lot more frugal than me. Like if she said, you can control the finances, you can do whatever, I'd be like, cool, I'm going to go buy random crap until we run out of money. (laughs) This one, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. I'm with you, man. I'm with you. Hey, look, I just bought two go-karts because it seemed like a good idea and I've got a penny farthing now, like just garbage. And, you know, so we sort of had this uh, pocket money system going for a long time. And so what would happen is I would invariably spend my pocket money for the month mm. in like the first two weeks, every time. Like two weeks would be good. Like, you know, it might be the day I get the pocket money. Like, cool, I'm like a bender and basically just spend all this money on grog and food. Yeah. And then it's like, <laughs> We're hanging out when I get to Melbourne. <laughs> Whereas... On the other hand, she would be like, I haven't spent my pocket money for three months. I'm thinking to buy this thing. So <laughs> it's amazing how I do that, mate. I don't know how to do it. <laughs> so yeah. one question. What's one book or resources that you really mentioned that has been a significant impact in your business? Resources? Yes. A book or a resource or a book, yeah. that really helped you with the business? Oh, um, my company would have almost certainly failed if I'd never read Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. Because mm. when Stu and I fight, and it's very much like a married couple fighting, the way that I used to deal with that kind of conflict basically just escalated. And he's never read the book either. 
So, oh, sorry, he's never read the book. So he, we basically would have just escalated, you know, tensions until we basically folded and just gave up on each other. But, you know, after reading that book, the sort of you know, dealing with conflict and negotiating, I've sort of, you know, been able to sort of reflect on how I was interacting with people and sort of said, okay, this is, you know, not effective and just how to deal with people. And that's really, really, yeah, really that's cool. I'd important. imagine that'd be helpful in your relationship at home as well. <laughs> yes, absolutely. That's my like sort of number one book for people that, you know, if I read that book in my like late teens, early twenties, my life trajectory would have been vastly different. I'm just sort of like, you know, thinking like, oh, what was I doing? Like, obviously that was never going to be effective or useful. That was just going to piss people off. Like, you know, basically just telling people they're wrong. People love that, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> How many times have I done that? <laughs> oh, love it, mate. <laughs> okay, final question for you. After it's all said and done, what do you want to be remembered for? Yeah, this is such a, like, even though, you know, we're running a you know, multi-million dollar business with a fairly large team and, you know, a lot of ways sort of hit what people are aiming for. I've got much sort of grander ambitions, you know, after this. I'm not sure how long that'll be. Like, we're not planning to sell or anything like that. But, you know, I would like to see, you know, some sort of social good come out of this, like, Two things that I'd like to do is get into agriculture for the world and also anti-corruption stuff, like getting into politics and basically fighting corruption there. Those are sort of my like two longer term goals. But, you know, this stuff that I'm doing now is basically means to those ends. And also, you know, it sort of pays the bills. Yeah, absolutely. That's really interesting about anti-corruption stuff because I know around voting, voting in politics, right? How can we have a secure system for voting that's online? And not have to drag everyone into voting booths, which is a question I've heard before and I would at some point love to hear your thoughts on that because maybe you guys could develop something around that. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, the problems would be at a much higher level where basically what we have now is not a representative system at all. It's basically just a bunch of self-serving bureaucrats. I don't like but, Australia's new president. <laughs> Sorry, Prime Minister. <laughs> we'll get another one next week. It'll be fine. <laughs> next week. Oh, good. All right, mate. So... Uh, Really appreciate the time for coming in. So everyone listening to this, Gleam.io, head over there. You can get on a free trial. Definitely we're using it. It's been just amazing for our contest. Uh, we will be doing an episode. Maybe we'll bring John back on there just to break down on the system and how it works and how we use it. We're planning to do a detailed write-up on it, which we'll share with you as well, John. But uh, again, any last thoughts, Cindy? Thank you so much for your time and honesty. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, we want to see, uh, hang out when we get to Melbourne. But uh, right now, right. awesome. Brisbane. Okay. Well, see you at the hub. Cheers. Alrighty, so that was our interview with John Sherwood from Gleam.io and a talented developer and co-founder of a successful business and also a husband and daddy of two lovely kids. So what was your takeaway from or insight from that interview, Cindy? Uh, for me, it was that the difference between quality time and just general time because he said that when he was working he came home it was more better quality time but when he was working from home the kids are there everybody's there and he's there and so the time is not as quality as he wanted and yeah so that was a great thing to point out i guess yeah, I agree with that. So it's uh, important to separate when is work time, when is family time, when is date and time, whatever it may be. Because when you are sort of at home like John is and you're working from home and you don't have a... Because he was filming in his... looks like his kid's study or something or his study, but it 
can easily get confused if kids are running in and out all the time and even like what he said his kids feel like they're not getting dad it's the quality yeah it's the quality it's not about the time then it's the quality of you know, I'm getting dad as his full attention mm. instead of I'm working and the kids are just there kind of thing so I think that's a good argument then for actually having allocated space, like environment where you can actually go and work, like a co-working space or a cafe or a, another room in your house if that's what you want to do. But yeah, it um, definitely is. Uh, you, uh, for me, I think that one, you can schedule time. Like, uh, uh, you know, this is a daddy's schedule and, you know, um, this is the time for play, for us playing. Dad have to work the rest of the hours. And or you can, yeah, as you said, to allocate a total space to separate the home with your business. We've seen that with our relationship where I will go and ride my bike. So when I go out and I actually have time where it's me doing my thing, or if I'm like yesterday where here in our cafe, you were meeting someone and having a conversation with them and I was just head down doing my work. Mm-hmm. Then afterwards we came back and reconnected yeah. and then it was much more greater feeling yeah you know I could, I could sense that yeah yeah it's the quality yes yeah, it's, it's like how they said that distance makes you what the heart grow fonder yeah that's the one sorry <laughs> okay cool yeah. awesome so yeah that's mine how about yours darling what I really liked about that was certainly the advice around what to do with contests and making sure that it's simple We've learned this through our contest that we're running. Mm-hmm. If you make the steps too hard for people to enter, mm-hmm. then they don't want to do it. You have to and even explain and show them how to do things like leave a review on iTunes. A lot of people don't know how to do it. And yeah. if it gets too complex, they just they won't do it. They won't do it. Mm-hmm. And the other one which was of surprise for me was their no meeting policy, which means you know, everything is assigned to GitHub, which is kind of like their task management tool. Like we use ClickUp yeah. and you just assign it to the person and say, okay, well, that's what you need to do. And then you might have sort of private chat with each team member in the team mm. but there's no weekly let's sit down and everyone talk about stuff like that's interesting I don't know if I agree with 100% I actually like the way we do our weekly meeting but that weekly meeting is focused not on all the tasks it's focused on what are the key priorities each yeah. week it also for meeting it gives you a like general idea of where the company is going and you'd be more part of the company other than just task orientated it seems like that system sounds like a task orientated but yeah, everybody works differently, so that's probably works for them. So, well, they're a multi-million-dollar company, so <laughs> it's working. Exactly. So you know, it works for them. There you go. Starting with our next episode, we'll be digging into common marriage problems and how to overcome them. And with our next episode, we're going to share five lessons from our first year of marriage and business. And remember to live passionately, purposefully, and confidently. Till next time. 